Hi everybody, welcome to East to West Weight Loss Surgery, where we support our community with humor, humility, and honesty. I'm April Williams, and I'm the West part of East to West. And I'm Jason Smith, and I'm the East part to the East to West. So we are super excited today on our very second episode to welcome Wendy Rawlings, who is a licensed mental health counselor. Uh, I met Wendy maybe nine or 10 months ago, and it was on the recommendation of a different therapist that I was seeing for food addiction. And when I told that therapist, his name was David, that I was going to have weight loss surgery, he was very excited for me. And I said, okay, well, I would love to make an appointment to, you know, really start seeing you consistently again. And, and he just went, ooh, about that. I don't specialize in that. And I was, I was like devastated. I was so upset. And then he said, but I do have a wonderful friend who I can recommend that you reach out to. And it was you, of course, Wendy. And uh, so I reached out to you right away. And our first appointment, we absolutely hit it off. And I can just say that I think the only reason that my recovery has been so successful is because you have been such a constant resource in my life that allows me to be honest and open and swear a lot and get a lot of things out. And, and you offer all the suggestions and help that I need. So uh, you've just been a, a godsend. And I'm so happy that you are on our second show with us. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah, thanks. Uh, so to start off, I would just like you to introduce yourself to our listeners and to our viewers. So just in case you guys are, are new to the podcast, which is only two episodes in, uh, but we record this on Zoom. So not only can you listen to this on Apple or Spotify podcast, but you can also watch it uh, at our YouTube channel, channel. So if you go to East to West Weight Loss Surgery, either on Instagram or on YouTube, you're going to find the, the videos for, for all of these uh, podcasts that we're doing. And I would absolutely recommend that today you also watch it as well, because Wendy's provided us some visuals, some graphics, some slides, and I'm also going to show you what her website looks like. So if you would like to also utilize her as a resource for you uh, before surgery, you know, or, or, or during, you know, after your recovery, uh, then you will know where to go for that information. So definitely take a watch as well if, if you are just listening. Uh, but like I said, to start us off, will you just give us a, a clinical introduction of yourself so our listeners and our viewers know who you are? Sure, sure. I am Wendy Rawlings. Um, I've been in practice um, for 37 years. And I started when I was 12. I was one of the, no, I wasn't. And um, I love, love, love what I do. It's, it's really the most fun I can imagine in life. Um, I have seen, being in practice that many years, I've seen a variety of types of people. I've seen every configuration imaginable from individuals to children to families to, um, I have a subspecialty in uh, collaborative divorce and helping families get through that situation. But I really, um, the, my biggest caseload are my bariatric patients, and I did that on purpose because they are my people. I love them, and I love working with them, and I love seeing changes. People like April, I've, just, I've got a whole office full of them, and I love working with them, and April's just, just a, a rock star with that. <laughs> <laughs> I am uh, always studying, always learning. There's lots of changes in the field, so it's always evolving, and I am... I, do the best I can to keep up the literature and with what we know and what we what we enjoy. So that's what I do. I have a private practice in Federal Way, Washington, and also one in Tacoma, Washington. I'm a licensed certified distance counselor, so I also see people online, especially. Um, I don't know when people will be watching this, but this is the COVID time right now, so uh, I, I do a lot of COVID, and they just waived the, the regulations for um, distance counseling so that I can see people all over the country. 
Oh, um, which is pretty significant. Yeah. Yeah. So anybody who's listening or watching and they feel that you could also be of help to them, they could reach out to you and even say, oh, wow. wow. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. And I think we've all, ever since, you know, COVID, we've all come to uh, understand just how valuable distance connections can be using the technology that we have. So yeah. 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 I mean, Wendy, you and I've been meeting virtually now for, I think, two months and it's just as fantastic, you know, virtually as it is in person. Although, I mean, I love seeing you, but you know, desperate times call for call for Zoom, and that's okay. That's right. I, yeah, I, I mean, there's, there's there's definitely ways that you can keep it keep connected and also stay safe as well. And this has been one of the major major factors in that. So it's a good thing for the healthcare community. And right now, connection, especially in our population, is super important. So yeah, you're exactly right, Jason. Yes. Uh, yesterday, I used to hold those virtual bariatric meetups every Sunday, and it was kind of getting to the point where they were becoming a little bit cumbersome, and we're moving more towards every other week, maybe once a month, and people messaged me all day yesterday, and they're like, oh my gosh, where's the link for the meetup? So, I mean, I know that, that it is something that people are really uh, being drawn to. It's something that people are seeking out because you know, you just realize how closely connected you were to people physically. And when that is taken away, you know, for good reason, you, you try to seek that out in other ways. So we're definitely seeing a, a bump in that. Right. Uh, so when you, in, in your intro, you said that, you know, bariatric people are your people. And I know that because you yourself have had weight loss surgery, which I think yes. is something that makes you just the perfect expert for, for this community. And like what you said, your background is so holistic and then able to speak specifically to things that bariatric people are experiencing or thinking or doing is so helpful. It's just another place of empathy and it's just another place where that you can feel safe expressing those ideas. So will you share with us weight loss surgery experience? Sure, yeah. Um, I had a gastric bypass in 2005, dropped 205 pounds and have kept all but 10 pounds of that off. Um, uh, my body just wanted to add that 10 pounds. It felt good. My kids called me the Crypt Keeper because I looked so sallow. Um, I, am, I am no small person, but I am not. I'm, I'm fit. I'm in shape, and I feel wonderful and feel really healthy. Um, probably 15 years before that, I was diagnosed with um, diabetes, and I kind of pretended I didn't have it until I was hospitalized with um, high blood pressure and some heart issues. So I finally was forced to face that. I went to an endocrinologist and the first thing they said to me without knowing me for more than three minutes was you need weight loss surgery. And I was so offended that I never saw the guy again. And I just, <laughs> just kind of left his office and went, well, I guess I'm on my own because there's no way I'm going to do that. So I worked for that, that 10 or 15 intervening years on why I was eating too much. And I, I saw other specialists and experts who did not believe that I wasn't dropping weight on 1,000 calories a day or less. And I finally got to the spot. And my family really helped me. They, by then, I had grandchildren. And they said, you know, Mom, we want our children to know you. And I wanted to know them, too. So I, I gave it some serious thought. And and pondered for a while. It took took me a while to get there, but in fact, the night before, I was ready to cancel, and my son-in-law talked me into it. Um, and I'm glad it was it was a game changer. Um, and I've never looked back. I, it's been the best thing I've ever ever done. 
And that said, I had to be ready. I understand that this is huge and there's all kinds of shame and guilt that goes along with that decision. Um, we've, we've been body shamed and we also feel guilty that we didn't have the willpower to do it on our own. Uh, it's not about that. Uh, believe me, I, I know we have willpower and it, it really isn't about that. We get to a place where we, we can't, our bodies just don't do what they naturally would do. And there's a lot of reasons and they're still trying to figure out what all of them are, but there's a lot of reasons for that. So, so weight loss surgery was, was my way to start over. And I was really determined that because it was such a dramatic, drastic step, I was going to do it right. And I did. So it's, it's been great. Yeah. And I definitely, uh, Jason, and I always were nodding in agreement with you. We, we know that shame is the reason that a lot of people don't, uh, don't opt for, for weight loss surgery. And uh, when Jason and I met, we really share a passion of, you know, destigmatizing weight loss surgery in our community and beyond our community, because it is a tool like any other medical tool that people should use and not feel guilty or shameful about using to live at a healthy weight. I think all of us recognize that we did some things or we had some behaviors and habits in our life that were not the healthiest, but we also were not lazy slovenly people that sat on the couch all day eating bonbons we were active people we were you know we're professionals we're, we're parents we're grandparents we're active people and our bodies just would not let go of that weight and if there is a medical tool out there to use why are we not utilizing it, it just right and i and i recognize for myself as well like you had mentioned you know the, the stigma behind it um that's a big reason as to why i myself didn't elect to have the surgery three to four years before I actually had it was because of that same thing. Everybody, I didn't want people to think I took the easy way out because that's what a lot of people link it to. It's like, oh, well, instead of getting, you know, getting yourself in the gym and really working at it, you just went and had surgery. Well, that's, you know, anybody can do that. Well, I'm, a, I'm here to tell you right now, anybody can't do that because we've yeah, seen, yeah. we've yeah. seen a large number of people that don't make it, uh, you know, they don't, they, they fail at it. And, you know, we're here for those people, too. Just because it didn't work for you, you know, the first time you went through it doesn't mean that you can't get back on the wagon, you know, after you've had the procedure and get yourself back on track and get where you want to be. So, yeah, the, the, the stigma to me is one of the biggest things that we need to try to get a hold of. Yeah, my, my, one of my favorite cartoons is a cartoon that these women are sitting around the table talking and one of them says, weight loss surgery is the easy way out, said no weight loss surgery patient ever. And right. it really, it, it's hard. If you've done it, it's hard. And, but it's also the thing to, the thing to help you be healthy. And it, it's also why you do it. I did it for family. I did it for health. Uh, I didn't do it to wear a size four. That that ship sailed when I was six years old, probably. But um, it, it's why you do it, and and that'll help you. Yeah. And that's really uh, what we're here today to talk about. So the title of this episode, well, the working title at the moment is changes, because while weight loss surgery is a tool that we have utilized, or or if you're listening, you're watching, maybe you're thinking about utilizing. It, from my personal experience, it's probably about 10% of the reason I've been successful so far. It got me over the initial hump. It helped me kind of really make that initial break between food and my addiction and that, that need. But really, once I recovered, maybe three or four months into it, 
the tool is secondary because all of the work that actually goes into being successful after weight loss surgery has to do with everything that's going on between your ears. It doesn't have anything to do really with, I mean, it does, but the, the, the biggest bang for your buck, where the, the rubber meets the road, so to speak, is the changes that you have to mentally go through to become the person who does live at a healthy weight. Because before surgery, you were not a person that could have ever lived at a healthy weight. And you really do have to become a new person uh, to, to be successful. And it's not that your core, it's not that your, your seed or your essence or your soul changes, but everything outside of that has to change uh, to become the person that, that lives at a healthy weight. So yeah. when, um, when Jason and I were, you know, we're thinking about doing this podcast, we made a list of like, well, you know, who would we want to talk to and what do we want to know? And instantly, Wendy, you, you mm -hmm. popped into my, my brain and I shared that with Jason. And I, I just said, you know, the, the thing that has been, I think most helpful in my discussions with you, Wendy, is, is numbers. I'm a very, numbers oriented person. I'm a very black and white person. So if you tell me that I need to get to, to this destination or this goal post or, or, you know, this is the parameter, these are the stats, I can focus on that because it's very clear, uh, you know, f for me. So the thing that really, the first thing that resonated with me was when you told me the stats for relapse, right? Or, you know, what is a relapse? What is a slip? And then what, what are your chances of doing that? And when you told me that in the first two years, I would have a 50% chance of relapse. I think you could have blown me over with a feather. I mean, I was just so... I think I remember your expression. <laughs> it was not that kind. No, I'm sure. As, as Wendy and Jason know, I swear like a sailor. It was a lot of curse words in one string. And Wendy so graciously just smiles and looks at me and goes, oh, that's true. But when you said that 50%, I just you know, dumbfounded. So will you, will you explain to us, you know, what is a relapse? What is a slip? And then what are those, those, those numbers? Sure. Yeah. Um, this is a foundational uh, piece of our changing because like you said, April, we, we're not changing who we are. We're just changing how we do life and we're changing our relationship with food, hopefully with people, um, with, pretty much every, every bit of our life, we kind of upgrade ourselves. I, I, I became Wendy 2.0 and, um, and just kind of an upgrade. So it's, these are foundational things. So most of us have an addiction, whether it's to sugar, whether it's to salt, whether it's to some kind of a food addiction, probably it's not to broccoli or to Brussels sprouts, but we have some kind of a, a relationship with food. And there's a lot of ways to tell if you are. On my website, there's a, a it's called a Yale addiction food test or something like that you can you can print off and take but um we must have some kind of addiction or at least compulsive behavior when it comes to eating um sometimes it it's it has to do with exercise and those kinds of things as well so um when we change our eating patterns and you have to change your eating patterns you have to change them before you most of us change them before surgery we all have to change them afterwards and we'll get sick and we do want to change them so the surgery will be successful and so the surgery, that the attention to surgery and before and after creates um, a change in us, which is great. But after a while, the change in the, the, the focus starts to become regular and becomes, we go back to habit. And that's why we, we slip or we relapse. So a slip is what, something that you do once. 
um, sometimes twice, but you get right back on the horse, you acknowledge that you did it, you just, you, you just, you do it, and then you move on. A relapse is when you don't get back on the horse, or when you don't admit to yourself that you did it, and you don't take steps to change that, because where there's no failure here, it's all feedback, so if you don't implement that feedback and went and go well what went wrong what am i going to do next time what can i do not to prevent you know to prevent this from happening so that it doesn't happen again then we get into relapse and after about nine months and and with guys it tends to be about nine months with girl with women it tends to be a little bit longer um we do go into that spot where it it starts to become old habit eating so then we start to cross lines oh i didn't mean to have that. That was the first time I had that. Oh, I didn't dump. Oh, well, that's cool. Or that wasn't such a bad dump. Um, or that was a terrible dump. I'm never going to do that again. I, I, I had two dumps, and we called the paramedics both times. It was embarrassing. Um, I thought I was having a heart attack. And it was enough to, to do it for me. That was, that was a great experience that I would never recommend to anyone. But it, it did what it needed to do for me so that I didn't go into a relapse. Um, but that's not the way you want to do it. So a relapse is where you don't get back on the horse or you tell yourself a story that this is the last time, we all know these stories, this is the last time I'm gonna do it, I'm just gonna do it once. Or we'd say, everybody does it, it's not fair that I can't do it. Or I've had a really hard day, I deserve this. Um, and then there's all the unconscious reasons that we, that we do that. So that's, that's what a relapse is. So because of that, um, it takes two years of building new um, wiring in our brain to do that differently. We're going to talk a little bit about that in a minute. Um, and so that's, that's at two years, they used to think if you were two years in recovery, you were in recovery. And now they're finding that you need to be there for five. Five years, you have a 15% chance of relapse rather than a 50% chance. So if we look at it as a, a, a day at a time, it's a lot, we're in it for the long haul. We're running a marathon. We're not running a sprint, and I'm a sprinter, so I mean, not real in real life, but the, the way I do my life is through sprints. And so I have a, a marathon full of sprints, and I have short goals that I do to get to the end of my marathon, and that works for me because I'm a sprinter running a marathon. So does that answer your question, April? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. So I mean, really, what I what I heard from you and what I just have learned from you um, is that really, we are working to become this new healthy person for five years. We can't let our foot off the gas pedal for five years. Yeah. And that is a long time. I mean, it's 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 a drop in the bucket when we're thinking about our, our lifespan and we're, we're thinking about our quality of life. But I just remember when I first heard those numbers, it was a little bit devastating for me because I just thought I worked so, you know, I worked so hard battling food for 38 years before I had surgery. And then I had surgery and it was this fantastic tool. And you think this tool is, is this is what you need. And now your life is going to be so different afterwards. And I just remember when you told me those numbers, it was like, okay, wait a minute. You know, for two years, I have to be diligent to not go back to my old ways. And then when you're like, well, it's actually five. I was like, oh, you have, you have got to be kidding me. Like, what the hell did I sign up for? I didn't, I didn't, I was done battling this. I wanted to like tap out after surgery. And now I have to work just as hard. Yeah. 
for, for five years. So I think to, to put this in a little bit of context for our viewers or for our listeners, I, I'm kind of where I'm to the point in my recovery where I'm starting to go back to my old habits. And, and I shared this with Wendy. It was, um, maybe three months ago. I'm not, I enjoyed drinking, uh, before surgery, I could drink copious amounts and really not feel intoxicated thanks to my German heritage and my alcohol family background. But, um, after surgery, I, I knew that I would attempt to, uh, switch my addiction from food to something else. And, and Wendy had said, you know, be careful of alcohol. Okay. I will be careful of that. Uh, and I was having a really rough week and I was in a very dark place after recovery with food and, you know, the mental things that I was going through. And I was at the grocery store and my favorite brewery had a new beer and I don't even like beer. And I was like, Oh, I'm, I'm going to get that. It's tropical. I'm going to try that. And okay. I bought it and, and I sat home and I cracked it open and I drank half of it. And okay, well, that was whatever that felt great. Well, then the next day I did it. And then the next day after that, I did it. And my husband uh, came home and he was like, hey, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, nothing, just, you know, looking at my phone. And, and I had my can of beer sitting next to me. And he's like, oh, are you drinking, you know, uh, LaCroix or uh, Spindrift? You know, what I normally enjoy drinking. And I was like, no, it's that new beer from uh, uh, Silver City Brewery. And he goes, oh, well, that's weird. You don't drink beer. And I just looked at him and I flipped him off and I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, I do. You know, I, you know, I wanted to try this. And he's like, okay, well, whatever. You know, like no, you know, no <laughs> judgment, no anything. But, you know, he was just like, well, you know, you just don't do that. Yeah. And I, and I was so mad. So, you know, I just told him to, you know, take a leap and whatever. But, you know, thank God he did say that because that was a slip, right? That, that was really something was. that was like... Oh, okay. So I, I noticed that, like you said, it was feedback, not failure. And I realized that I was trying to cope with some things in a way that was not healthy for me. And, mm -hmm. um, and I threw all, all the cans of beer away in my house that, that I had. And uh, I'm very cognizant now of how I can, how I can go down there. And I do see myself relapsing back into my old habits. I can eat a little bit more now. I can enjoy mm -hmm. some foods that I used to enjoy. Mm -hmm. you know, after you know before surgery but my weight has stalled so yeah. you know i'm who knew right <laughs> that's, that's such a great example of of a possible cross addiction yes yes um and and to to make it i mean five years does sound like a long time and it's not it's not five years of drudgery it's five years of playing with this a little bit having successes and having failures and pulling back and going, okay, what am I going to do instead? My, my one thing that I've abstained from for 15 years, I, I thought, because I, because I am a sprinter, I thought, okay, if I can turn this marathon of a lifetime into a sprint, I'm going to sprint through saying no to ice cream. And that's my thing. I haven't had ice cream in 15 years. I don't intend to have it for the rest of my life. That's just, that's just my, my way to stay strong and keep myself grounded. And I don't recommend that for any, anybody else. It just works for me. So my, my first sprint through ice cream, I, oh, it was horrible. I mean, ice cream is, the reason I chose it was because it was my danger food. It was my gateway food. If I said yes to ice cream, I said yes to everything else. So I, I decided ice cream had to be the, the bright line that I drew for myself. And in the beginning, I noticed every, every bit of ice cream, every noticed every new ice cream flavor in the store. And I thought to myself, and Ben and Jerry's, oh my goodness, they, they, they're terrible. They're terrible. <laughs> They, they, are, they are hard on us. So I, I know so much stuff. And then one day I thought, why am I looking at ice cream? And 
we do that. We do that. We look at all the things that we can't have. So put a little peanut ice cream and it made it a little easier. But my husband loves um, Dove bars on the, on the stick and he can eat whatever he wants to and be, be fit and, and then and so he would bring these Dove bars home and I would have to leave. I first I'd hate on him for a while and then I'd hate on the Dove bar and then I'd hate on my genetics and, and <laughs> that wasn't doing anything for me either. So I, I would just leave the room and he would eat his Dove bar and we got to the point where after two years it really did get easier to let go of that but I still noticed when people were having ice cream um, after five years, I don't know when I quit noticing, but after, after probably four years, people can eat whatever they want around me and I don't notice uh, anything. And so you would, you would consider the slip to be the same as when somebody has been working as long as they have and they just call it a cheat day, cheat meal, cheat, whatever. Oh, I'm just going to have a little bit of this because so that to you, that that's the same thing. Um, if, yeah, well, it, de it depends. I, I want to clarify, um, there's something that I call a, a planned eating event. Um, and that is where I'm going to go off my plan. I don't, I wouldn't usually do this for me. It would never be ice cream, but I might, I might have a piece of cake if I go to a birthday party or a couple of bites of it. And that's a planned eating event. That's not a slip. That's me, okay. you know, having a, having a moment of, of normalcy, I guess, um, or other people's normalcy. It's not my normalcy anymore, but. You know, um, so there's a planning event where, and, and you don't do it very often because it can, it can cause a relapse. But, uh, but there's there are days when you go, yeah, I, I I made a bad choice right then, and that's and then I'm back on the wagon. I'm not gonna do that again. I figured out what happened, what led up to it. I figured out what I do next time, and that's a slip. So you think the structure of the planned eating event lends itself to get you back on track a little better because you're holding yourself, basically you're holding yourself pre-accountable to know yeah. that you're going to have to work a little bit harder before and possibly a little bit harder after to get you to keep yourself in line, but yeah. you've allowed yourself this little, this little modicum of just kind of space to, to do yeah. what you want to do. Yeah, and I don't even see that as a slip. I just see that as, as and, and when I, I track uh, my food most of the time, when I track, I track in weekly increments. Okay. If I, if I do wanna have lunch with friends on one day, I can, I can compensate for it on a different day and um, move my, and, and all of that is planned. It's, it's a way to kind of normalize life. True. That makes sense, yeah, yeah. And I know, um, you know, I, I, I know some people who have had the surgery and have not been successful. And I think the reason they haven't been successful is because soon after surgery, as soon as they did, as soon as they kind of started experimenting with the foods that they ate before and they either didn't get sick or they fought through the pain, you know, whatever the case was, they, they just continued life as before. And yeah. I, for me, that's kind of like what relapse is. Like, I mean, I love sandwiches. I love bread. If I went back to eating those things consistently like I did before, I have relapsed into my old behavior. Then I'm, right. I'm just right back on that, that well-defined super highway of addiction in my brain. Um, because the, the whole goal really after surgery, when we're talking about changing ourselves, is we need to make those new healthy changes as easy to do and as thoughtless as our old habits were, right? So like me making sandwich, me doing things that I used to do before, I didn't even have to think about it. It was, it was unconscious. It was just, nope, yeah. this is just what I, 
So the whole goal is we're working for five years to replace that highway of addiction with Correct. a new highway of, of, a, of these super healthy habits, right? That help live our lives at a healthy rate. And we, yeah. we need to do this consistently so that it's unconscious, right? So we're no longer unconsciously getting on the, the highway of, of horrible health. We're getting it's on the highway. highway. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Exactly. And we think how many years you were on that highway. And, and then we're off of it for, for a few months with the aid of surgery that makes us sick if we do it wrong or, you know, we've really focused on that or we're, we're all in for a while. But there's no way that that nine months or that year compensates for all those years previous. And so we're, we're really trying to build a new destination in our brains. And we'll talk about that in a minute, but that's, that's really what we're up to. And so it's, it's, it's not, it's nothing to be, I feel guilty about or feel ashamed about. It's just, it's science. It's just brain science. You know? Right. Well, and, and April, you had also mentioned, April had mentioned some things about, you know, getting, and you also, you know, getting sick if you do it wrong. Mm -hmm. There's people out there like myself who don't get sick for any, like, I've yet to find anything that makes me <laughs> sick when I eat it. And that's yeah. bad. That's bad, bad. Like, yeah. the only thing that I've had so far is plain Greek yogurt that is, for whatever reason, it turns my stomach and I can't eat it. So, yogurt's out for me. But literally everything else I've been able to eat with no issue. Um, even including up to I'm a month, not even a month and a half out yet. And I was able the other night, um, without even really paying attention, I ate like a five ounce sirloin and just smashed the whole thing, ate the whole thing, no issue, no nothing. And before wow. I looked up, I was like, Oh wait, I wasn't supposed to eat that whole thing. I just Great. Did. Yeah. Now granted I lost two pounds that night, so that's awesome. But however, I don't need to just sit around and smash six ounce steaks all day because that's just not it. <laughs> well, and you're in the place in your surgery where you're going to lose no matter what you eat and how much right. you eat. And so, but, and, and this is the, I can't emphasize this enough. This, when it's easy, it's the time to start building the habits. Because when it's hard and the scales aren't moving, we shouldn't be paying attention to that much anyway. But when it gets hard and the scales aren't moving, then we get discouraged. And then we throw up our hands and go, oh, you know, and then we tell ourselves a story about why we should be eating that thing that we want to eat. So it's, it's really important. And we, a lot, a lot of us as a, as a group, we tend to be caregivers for other people and not pay a whole lot of attention to what we need. And during the surgical process and preparation and, and recovery, we do pay a lot of attention to ourselves. And we shouldn't be overindulgent by any means, but it is important to pay attention to, to what we're doing and put some thought into what our day is gonna look like and what we're gonna eat. When I track, I pre-track so that every day, at, and I do it the night before because I'm a mess in the mornings, I, I can't think straight. So I do it the night before, I pre-track, put it all into my tracker and I know what I'm gonna eat. So I don't have to make decisions. And that's one, one way that we can get a, a leg up on our habits is to do that a different time than when we're hungry. So, um, yeah, so that becomes important too. So how do we, so, so we've gotten to the place where, where we acknowledge that, oh, we, we, we have some bad habits and uh -huh. we are finding ourselves getting back on the old habit bandwagon and, and we're starting to worry about that. How do we make the changes in our life uh, that will help us live at a healthy weight? Okay. Um, oh, I don't know. No, 
<laughs> yeah, we're, we're all in trouble. I have no idea. We just we just identified the problem. I don't know there's a solution. Um, no, I, I fortunately, I have some ideas. Um, so it's I think it's important to understand for, for the purpose of this of this meeting today, um, understand two things. One is the, the process of how change is done. And this is across the board. It doesn't matter whether we're changing, um, you know, how we relate to our our spouse or or how we relate to food. Um, but we there there's a specific process that, that we as humans go through when we change. And do you want to flash that slide up April? I there's a, a slide that I really like that that and I'm since I'm a visual learner, it's always nice to have pictures. Um, so there's you can see the steps to it. Um, we start with pre-contemplation where we really don't know it's a problem or we don't want to know it's a problem. I was in that when I went and saw the, the endocrinologist and I didn't like what he said and so I just pre-contemplated for the next 10 years and uh, didn't really help me. So I was, I, was, I was unaware of the gravity of the problem. And then we moved to contemplation and that's where we become aware that we have something that we want to change. We may not be ready to change it yet, but at least it's on our radar. And, and so we, then the next step is preparation. So we, we know we have a problem, we do want to do something about it, and we're getting ready to, to do something about it. We're, we're doing research, we're talking to other people, we're listening to podcasts, we're, we're doing all kinds of things to sort of build up uh, some support, a network of information, et cetera, that gets us ready to, to change. And then, um, then we take action, and that's when we, we take the plan that we've made in our prep stage and put it into practice. A lot of times, ideally, when we have the surgery, that's the plan. But a lot of us haven't done enough preparation because we didn't know we needed to. We didn't know exactly what we were preparing for until uh, after surgery, we, we encounter some of those walls and some of those challenges. And then we have to go back and go, oh my gosh, I am still on pre-contemplation. I did not know how addicted I was to ice cream. Or I didn't know that I couldn't take a beer and, and just drink it because, oh my goodness. So, so then we're, we're kind of playing catch up. But once we've got action down and once we've really got that, um, that nailed and we've got some, some things in place, then we can move to maintenance. And maintenance is just sustaining the change. And maintenance requires a different set of skills than, because everything else is talking about change. Maintenance is talking about maintaining the change, making it constant, and that's where we get to that five years. <clears throat> so that's the stages of change that we go through. Um, I have at my website, and I, I, I'll let you talk about that, April, but I've got this, I've got it in handout form on my website, and in the handout, it has questions to ask yourself at each stage. So if you're in contemplation, it has questions to ask yourself to move you to preparation, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's also important to understand that you could be in three stages the same day. I remember journaling one day. I was in action. I, my plan was going well. I, and then all of a sudden, something happened that I totally didn't expect. And I went all the way back to contemplation. And I thought, how? who knew you could go to contemplation? I remember journaling that. Who knew you could go from action to contemplation? And I, I had to go back and, and rethink some things and redo some things in my preparation so that I could then go back to action and have it be specific. But again, there's no such thing as failure. It's just feedback. If we take the feedback, figure out what went wrong, what we're going to do, uh, 
to fix that, then, then we're in good shape. Life is one big thing, feedback loop. So, well, and I think too, you know, when you shared this with me too, it, again, I'm a very right concrete type, type of learner. So I can easily identify, uh, you know, state where, when and where I have been in, in these stages. And mm -hmm. really powerful for me was two things. One, what you just said is that you can, you can go through all of these stages in five minutes, right? Or, you know, all day. You're, these are not like, this is not like stair step and, and you never go back down, right? It's, it's you right. all over the place. And then the other really powerful thing is that the, the skills and the knowledge and the things that I did before maintenance do not apply to maintenance. So it's almost like once you cross that maintenance threshold, you really do have to do things differently. You have to think differently, act differently. You need to, you need to operate at a different level to maintain it because all the things that I did prior to surgery are not going to uh, help me maintain a healthy weight, right? Like I knew how to live as a fat person before surgery. I have no idea how to live is as, as a healthy weight person now, which is right. the work that I'm doing because I don't want to go back to being that unhealthy fat person. Uh, so to know that, okay, once I get to that maintenance stage, the, my old playbook has to be thrown out and I have to create a new playbook for myself. And it's going to take trial and error. It's going to take that feedback loop. And it's going to take me really repeating that mantra, which I've now made into like a, a graphic so I can just post it everywhere in my life. Yeah. It's feedback, not failure. And if I am going to be successful, I have to utilize that feedback every second, every day, every week, every month to constantly refine what I'm doing. Um, because I could think that one way is going to work and then I tried it and I don't, right? So when it came to tracking, I tried every app that was out there and I didn't stick consistently with any of them. And I had to continue to try things to find what works. And uh, a, a month ago, I realized I was paying for Weight Watchers for years and never knew it. That's just how ridiculous I am sometimes. And I just thought, well, maybe that's a sign from the universe. And since I've been on Weight Watchers, I've tracked probably 80% of my days. And I've been doing it for a month consistently. And I'm starting to lose weight again. So just because you try one thing and it doesn't work does not mean that there is not something out there that will work. There is something out there. And if you don't find it, it's your job to create it. It's mm -hmm. your job to, to figure out how you can make something yourself so that you can live in your, in your maintenance world. I mean, right. well, I, feel like, I feel like also there's a lot of people that think very, very one-sided about this whole situation. Like, well, I've had surgery, so Weight Watchers is something different. That's for people that haven't had it. Or I can't do calorie counting, or I can't do Atkins, or I can't do keto, I can't do, you know, because I've done this, so I've got to follow the bariatric side of things. When in reality, you could, you, like you'd said, you could take one of those things, you can take all of those things in, in different little segments that will work for you and create some, just whatever works for you. Just know that there's something out there for you. Don't just take a stall or something. Or if you've been at a, cause I, I've talked to people that have been in a stall for a year. They haven't lost a pound. The scale hasn't moved up or down. And you know, they just like, well, I guess I'm done. Well, no, you're not done. You, there's still things you can do to keep going. As long as you're, you know, if you're still not at the goal you want to be at, if you still think you have room to move, you know, you've got to do something to make that move happen.
you can't just sit back and go, well, I've come as far as I can go. I guess maybe I have to get another surgery to get to maybe the duodenal switch, or I've got to go ahead and switch to the full, you know, bypass because this, you know, that didn't work as well. And that's just not always the case. It's, it's a really important thing to, to understand. And if you understand it from the beginning, that and and you your body is going to change and not every body is the same and very often we compare our progress to other people's progress and we're not them they're not us we can only compare ourselves to ourselves and i found what worked for me in the first two years does not work for me now um that i've, I've been through three different apps before i finally found one that i that i use consistently because i do need to track and i um, and I liked all three of them, but I was too, I, pairing it with my exercise tracker was just too much trouble. So I just finally did that and it, it works great because I have to track, if I don't track exercise, I'm dead in the water. So, um, so it's, it's what works for you. And I was way different two years out. What I was working for me two years out is way different and now I never track calories. I didn't track calories. I don't know, probably till I got to year four. I should have tracked them ahead of time, ahead of that, but I didn't know. And every one of us burns calories at a different rate. I have a calorieometer in my office that, that my clients will blow into and we, we find out how many calories they burn in a day. And then we can do a math problem. Find We have an algorithm that, that lets us know what your, um, the ratio between your weight and your calories, and that doesn't ever change. Weight, weight loss surgery doesn't change that. And that number becomes super important for the rest of your life. And then tracking calories makes sense. Also tracking your macros, your carbs, your proteins, and your fats makes a lot of sense. And that's, that's advanced. That's after you're out for 18 months or to two years from surgery. But if you don't do that, you're not gonna be as successful. The, I follow uh, the minimalists. They're two of my favorite people uh, in the internet on, in, on the planet, uh, Joshua Fields Milburn and Ryan Nicodemus. And I, while I'm not a minimalist, as you can see, my <laughs> I, I very much um, agree. And I find that their advice helps me become uh, happier with what I have, right? So, so I'm, I'm, on, I'm on a separate journey uh, besides the weight loss thing. But the thing that they said that I absolutely love the most is you need to you need to look around at other people's recipes right just like if you, if you sit down and you say i want to make a chili you're probably going to look at three four five different recipes and see what one kind of calls to you but the most amazing thing that we can do in our lives is look at all of these different recipes and pick pieces out mm -hmm. from the places that that we're drawn to or the things that we know will work for us and create our own recipe so there's absolutely nothing wrong with listening and learning and seeing how other people are doing it successfully and taking pieces and elements from their recipe and making your own. Uh, I think a lot of times we get, we get stuck in, well, I have to follow this exact program or I have to use this complete beauty you know, regimen. And that just simply isn't the case. You really need to become very attuned to what you need, uh, not what you want. And, uh, and, and build your recipe, you know, based on, based on those things. And you have to be okay with playing. You have to be okay with experimenting and trying and then recognizing when something is not working and, and making those changes. Uh, but I think therein lies the difficulty because 
for most of our lives, we chose the path of least resistance. This work is exhausting. This work, going through these steps, going through the, the mental gymnastics that is required for success after bariatric surgery mm -hmm. is uh, our Mount Everest in our lives. And there are some days where we just don't want to do it. And maybe we can't do it. We just don't have the, the mental capacity to do it. Uh, but if we can at least, I think, get to a place in our lives where if we don't have the energy that moment or that day, we at least have the skills and we at least have the habits built to maintain. Right. Because sometimes we just need a break. Sometimes I just need to not worry about this for this moment or this day. But if I have the foundation, that healthy foundation, those skills, those habits, those coping mechanisms that do not propel me backwards, but just simply hold me steady, then I, I'm at a healthier place than I have ever been. And, and right. some days that just has to be good enough. Yeah, it, it is. And that's one of the reasons I like doing tracking on a week, you know, instead of a day, day to day, and not to give myself a chance to not hold my feet to the fire because we're, we all have up and down days. And so it's, it's you know, again, it's feedback. So what, what, what can people do? So, so knowing that, that these are the steps to behavioral change. So what you want to do is you want to pre-plan. You want to take the, the um, actually, let's, let's go to the brain function first. Let's put on the brain slide, and, and then we'll do both of them together. Is that all right with you? Yeah. Um, so this is, this is a great, again, because I'm a visual learner, I like to see things. So if we look at, at the way we wire, we wire from a stimulus to a destination. And the more, the more times we go down that pathway, the, the stronger it gets. Uh, the fewer times we go down a pathway, the weaker it gets. So oh. the very first time we try anything, it's kind of like a cow path. Think of building a highway. So you know, first it started out as a cow path, and then enough cows go down it, and then people go down it, and wagons and horses go down it. And pretty soon, we have a dirt road. And then somebody paves that road and makes it into a one-lane highway and then it's expanded to two and then some of those get turned if they're used a lot get turned into super highways and that's exactly how our brains wire uh, the, our neurological pathways the more we use them the more myelinized or paved they become and 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 the reason is because our brains are wired to be efficient so uh, they want they want something to go from stimulus to response in the shortest amount of time and they want, because our brain is, it, our brains use 20% of our body's energy. And that's why if you've been thinking all day, you're, you're tired because they use us, they're gas hogs. And then our prefrontal cortex, our thinking brain uses about 80% of our entire brain's energy. So they want, the brain naturally wants to wire so that things are, don't take a lot of energy to use. And when we're doing a new, a new habit, it takes a lot of energy, that prefrontal cortex, that thinking brain is thinking all the time. And that takes a lot of energy. So in the beginning, it takes a ton. Yeah, April, you had a question? <laughs> April's brain is doing the pathway. <laughs> I mean, I just like, uh, I mean, this is like years of learning now that all of a sudden just like snapped together one, in one place. Because, so in, in my work with David, he finally explained addiction to me in a, in a way that made sense to me. He said, right, when you, you, so, so you, you enter as a, a, a place of survival, right? For some reason, something has, has triggered something in you and you think you are not going to survive something. So your brain and your body is doing whatever it's going to do 
to, to survive. And for me, that was eat. So that weak pathway became a very strong pathway because as soon as I got to that place where I was like, oh, this is not good, I'm feeling threatened or I'm feeling stressed, my, my way out of that discomfort was, was food. So my brain literally, like he, like he explained it, he said, you have a super highway, you have an eight lane super highway that has been created in your brain that you jump on the instant something gets bad or stressful. That is your addiction superhighway. And, and he said, you know, it's, it's the path of least resistance. So you're gonna go there unconsciously. This is just what you're gonna do. And to, to fight your way off of that or to not get on that highway is so very difficult. And that's what makes addiction so powerful. And what was devastating for me in my work with David, this is like a theme, I get I devastated and then there's like hope, you know, at the end of these sessions, but, you know, he just said, once that superhighway is made, it's never going away. And I was like, okay, well, 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 hold on now. Like if I can bring in some excavators and some bulldozers and I can, you know, I can make it go away. And he said, Unfortunately, you were not equipped with that, with those tools. And he said, no matter how overgrown or unused that highway gets, if you get back on it, you are going to be able to weave your way through the derelict cars and the branches and the vines and the trees that have grown up, you know, grown up in this super highway. You will, you will make your way there. And I just thought, oh my God, this is why battling addiction is so exhausting. But now what you just said, so, okay, so, so now I can clearly see my super, my super food highway there in my brain now. But if 80% of my brain is dedicated to thinking, you're telling me that I only have a 20% capacity to actually fight this. No, no, you, no, that it's kind of the opposite. So at 80%, you're thinking about it and that's, that's using a lot of energy. Once oh, okay. going down your new path, then it starts to move into that 20%. The strong pathway lives in our 20%. Our weak pathway lives in our, in our 80%. And so we want to make that weak pathway our strong pathway. Okay. It becomes habit the easier it will be and the less energy it will take. We'll start to myelinize to that new spot, okay? Yep. Because so, that is the goal, right? We, that's the goal, yeah. yeah. And what I'm always telling people, people always ask me like, well, what's the biggest change after weight loss surgery? And I always tell them, I'm just amazed at how much mental space or capacity I seem to have now. And I yeah. swear it's because I, food is such a small part of, of it's taking up so little space in my brain now. I yeah. have all of this extra, like, that's all I can explain. I have this extra space or I have this extra capacity that I feel that I can dedicate in the areas that I want to dedicate it to. So it feels like making new habits or making smarter decisions, saying no more often than I say yes is easier now. Yeah. So is that is kind of related to what this is? Yeah, the more times you go down that path, the, the bigger it gets, we start violinizing it, we pave it, and it gets easier and easier and easier. But remember, you've been down one path for a lot more years. So that's gonna take a while to break up. But the more you go down the other path, the easier it gets. So we wanted to talk about how to do that and you know, strategies for making that happen. Is this a good time to do that? Yeah, definitely. So, so the, the handout that is on my website has this on there. Um, so if you're listening to it and not watching it, 
you can go to my website and find it. And we'll give you directions in a minute how to do that. So the first thing you want to do is you want to set a new destination for, oh, thanks, April. Yeah. Oh, yep, that's the one. So, and I'll pop back here and show people too um, how to access this information on your website as well. Perfect. Okay. So the first thing you want to do is you want to set a new destination. So we went, that, do you remember the two dots on the brain, the stimulus and response? You want to change the destination and you want to write it down because a, a thought not written, a goal not written is just a wish. And you want to turn it into a goal. So write it down. It makes it real. Um, if, it, if you're visual and, it, and you like to do it, put it all over the house and in your car, sticky notes everywhere, just so that you remember. Because the, the old way, the old pattern, the, the, the myelinated, the myelinated superhighway is to the old destination. So you just want to keep reminding yourself so you don't forget uh, what your new destination is. And then you want to look at what triggered you. What were, what were the points that you got triggered at? What, what were the stress behaviors? Was it people? Was it events? Was it lack of sleep? Was it you know going past the bakery and smelling the bread? What was it that got you triggered that, that you wanted to, um, that you want to start doing differently? And then as much as you can, create a plan for what you're going to do. And I also like to write this down, but I also like to play out scenarios in my mind because we have a lot of unknowns in our life. It doesn't matter how many scenarios we play out, we're going to still have some unknowns. But the more we can kind of nail ahead of time. So I'll, I'll say to my clients, okay, think about how you're going to do this. And, and let's just, let's just work it out in your mind and see what the obstacles are in the moment so we don't go stupid on ourselves because we are famous for going stupid on ourselves we're famous to jump back on that old highway and off we go to that old destination so so you want to look at what might go wrong um and then you want to look for alternative behaviors and this is where we tend to cross addict so my alternative behavior to food will be alcohol or gambling or shopping or you know something else so we want to look at alternative behaviors that are healthy and this, I find that this is great uh, work to do with other people too. You know, what are your hobbies? What are things that you do when you feel stressed or happy? Or what does your family do when you get together that doesn't involve eating? You know, get ideas from a lot of people like the minimalists we're talking about. Um, and so then you want to, again, write them down. Um, remember the reasons that you wanted to be healthy. Uh, I had a client, I always, I always have my clients write down their vision. And then I ask them why that's their vision. Why is that important? And, um, as, and then we really explore what their real vision is because some of them, that's, it's not their real vision. And so but usually it has to do with survival or health. And once they write that down, once the, her, her, her vision was, I want the ta-da life. And it was not the first thing she wrote down or the second or the third. But to her, that meant something. And it was motivational. And she... She's done super well since she nailed that vision. So remembering why you're doing this in the first place. And then um, do an emergency plan for that step two uh, above, you know, when, when you start going off the tracks, when you get triggered, make sure you have an emergency plan. Um, it might mean calling somebody. I always say, put it on a card, write it down, put the card everywhere you can see it, and make sure there's at least five things on it. If your emergency plan is to call your 
your mother and she's not available, well, guess what? You did your emergency plan and you can go eat the ice cream because you did what you were supposed to do, right? So make sure there's at least five things on it. 10 would be better, but then just work down your plan. Um, making sure, I, I call it my first aid kit. I keep a first aid kit in my drawer that has emergency food in it that I'm only gonna eat if I get triggered or if I get hungry, if I had to stay late and I know that, I mean, I used to win my way home through takeout and that's not a good thing to do. So if I have my, I have an emergency kit in my car too, um, I'm never gonna stop at fast food because I'm not hungry. I, I will do my emergency. And then um, make the decision based on your highest goals. So you see that a lot of this is pre-planning because you've, ahead of time, you know what you're up to. You've got it written down. Um, you're, you're actually engineering your own road. You've taken that cow path and, and taken charge of it, straightened it out a little bit, engineered it better. And if you do that, you, you're back in control of, of yourself, of, your, you know, of what you want to do. And so it's, it's creating a plan and then it's constantly evaluating it. Did this work? If it didn't work, what went wrong? What am I going to do about that? And so you're you're constantly um, thinking. You, you you go through life in a mindful way instead of an automatic way. Yes. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. Okay. And I think too, what you know, when 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 I always say like, oh, this is the hardest work I've ever done. It's because engaging with this type of activity and engaging with these thoughts and then actually doing your emergency plan, that's a lot of work. It is a ton of work. And you feel so good when you're done. You know, that self-loathing that we lived with for how many years, it completely replaces it. And in the moment when we're having to hunker down and do the right thing, it's it's hard work but when you're done and you look back you go oh man i'm really glad i did that today yes or it gets easier and easier as that road gets paved that, that was gonna be my next comment right because the more the the more the, the more that you do this right mm -hmm. the, the stronger that pathway becomes and then pretty soon your brain is going to automate those healthy changes so it's going to it's going to move that to the automated side of things so that you do have more of your 80% to focus on whatever it is you want to focus Correct. on. Correct. Focus on what you're going to cook for dinner. And so the more you can automate, the more you can have planned. I, I have um, clients that have elevated this to a science so that they're, they don't, they really don't think about, they, they have, have created a week's worth of menus. So they just, you know, just alternate a menu every, every week. I don't know that I could be that, that automated in that, that category, but whatever you can automate and whatever bugs you about not automating, because every I, I have clients say to me, I am so tired of thinking about food. I wanted this surgery so I wouldn't think about food. And now all I do is think about food. And it's because they haven't automated it yet to the point where it's automatic. And they and and that's that's all it is. It's it's a stepping stone to get there. So you don't want to give up on that. Well, and a lot of people, I, I know that, at, at least for myself, uh, before surgery, I ate according to when, just whatever I felt like that day, whatever popped in my head, that's what I was going for, that's what I wanted, that's what I obsessed about until I got it, and a lot of people don't realize how important meal prepping is, 
They see meal prepping as something that people do on Herbalife or some people do on different programs they're on. Or super healthy people meal prep. I'm not there yet. So until I get super healthy, I, 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 don't, I don't meal prep. I can't do it that way. Um, but they don't realize that meal prepping takes 99% of the thought process completely out of it. Like we pick Saturdays to discuss what the menu for next week's going to be. Sunday, and then Saturday we go pick up all the groceries. Sunday we spend meal prepping. The rest of the week is cruise control because you don't think about it. You just grab, you grab a container, you put it in the microwave, you're done, you go, and you're done. Yeah, you've made all the decisions ahead of time, and that's really what this is about. But Jason, you bring up something important that that we don't have time to talk about it this on this one, but you know maybe a different one. We are actually changing our identity. When we say, I am not that person, well, okay, but you could be if that would, so there's, there's a lot of identity that changes. The way we think about ourselves really changes, and for us to be successful, we have to let it change. Yeah, that's, that's definitely true. I, I've, I've noticed that a little bit just in the short amount of time um, since my surgery, but also in talking to a lot of the people that April and I encounter you realize what a big role that, that identity plays. People are either so used to being the person that they've been for so many years that once they start transforming into this new person, it, it's almost lost on them. Like that's part of where body dysmorphia and all that comes into. Like when you see yourself, you still see yourself as the former big person because that's your safe space. It's easier for you to see yourself that way versus trying to develop a new personality for this new person that you've become and not realizing that just like everything else, it's bits and pieces. You take bits and pieces of your personality of who you were before and you can incorporate that into this new person as long as you take the right pieces of your old personality as far as, you know, if you were an outgoing big person, you need to be an outgoing thin person. If you like to do certain things that didn't involve food as a, as a big person, you can do more of those things as a smaller person. That's right. It's just knowing what to bring with you and what to leave behind mm -hmm. are the biggest parts of this transformation that you're going through. It's a big upgrade. It's, you know, again, I went to Wendy 2.0. Maybe I'm at 3.0 now. I don't know. I'm working on it. But, but it's, it's also that, that identity, that's another pathway you're building in your brain. I mean, we're, we talk about one pathway, but we're building many at the same time. And the identity pathway is one, one there. And I don't want to get off on that tangent, but, but that's, that's happening. Yeah. And I think, you know, all, all the new research and a lot of the, the, the publications that have come out recently about habits and how to change them really do, like James Clear, I know when you and I talk about James Clear book often, uh, he wrote a book called Atomic Habits. And really the, the whole first part of the book is identity. It's talking about how, you know, your habits are, are, are a reflection of your identity. And if you really want to make lasting change, you kind of need to start there. You need to think, you, you need to become very clear in terms of your identity and then what actions or what habits would you do if you were that person? So it's very much kind of a backwards planning, right? You kind of have to start at the end and, and say, okay, well, you know, who do I want to be? Or, you know, what is my identity? And then what is it going to take for me to actually live that, that identity? And uh, I think the most powerful piece that I continue to take away from uh, Atomic Habits is that, you know, our actions are a vote that shows the world and ourselves who we are. 
And I don't have to cast a vote every time to be that identity. It just has to be a majority. So if I say that I'm a healthy person, if my identity, if I identify as a healthy person, well, what does that mean? Well, if I'm not doing those things that proves to the world and to me that I am living that identity, that's not my identity. Right. So the more often that I do something, the more often that I cast a vote for being a healthy person, the, the closer I am to just being a healthy person, you know, for that to be my that identity. Sounds like identity might be a great podcast for you guys to think about doing. Yeah. Absolutely. So in addition to James Clare's book, Atomic Habits, I also recommend Kelly McGonigal's book because um, it, it does talk about what we've been talking about today and so does uh, James Clare's book. Hers is um, The Willpower Instinct and April knows I hate that title. Me too. <laughs> Willpower in it. But so it took me a long time to actually read the book. It is a fabulous book. So call it something else in your mind. But she says that willpower won't power and want power. And it is really a great, a great paradigm for what we've been talking about today. Yep. And I would, of course, also, Wendy, recommend uh, your website. So Wendy has so graciously made the, the resources that we have referenced today available on her website. So if you just Google uh, Wendy Rawlings or you go to wendyrawlings.com and then you come to the Bariatric, Bariatric Success Group uh, link, if you click there and scroll down to the bottom, you're going to see a section called A Healthier You. And this is where she is uh, putting all of the resources that, uh, well, she created these resources just for our podcast, which I thank you very much for doing. And I know that she gives uh, talks and uh, speeches often, all the time, classes. And I think that this is going to be kind of, it's going to become your repository, so to speak, for yeah. resources. So great resources here that you can print out. They look like one pagers that you can, you know, do at home with yourself. And then of course you did hear Wendy say that the, the restrictions for, you know, uh, helping people outside of your state have been lifted. So if you are interested uh, in talking with Wendy more and, you know, even perhaps becoming a patient of hers, uh, her website is, is how you can, can get in contact with her. So just a wonderful, fantastic uh, a landing place to, to kind of start your journey if you're thinking about seeking out professional help or if you just want to explore uh, in-depth things that were talked about today. Uh, and on our website too, I've actually been through the, the testing that Wendy talked about and it was fascinating. I remember when she and I went through it, my, my caloric number came back actually really pretty high, which was consistent with all of my other um, you know, medical tests that I had done. But if I had never been through that test, I would have absolutely never known. And again, being a numbers person, a very powerful tool that I can utilize now for the rest of my life to help me maintain my healthy weight. It's just another tool that I am going to add to my toolbox of, of my healthy identity that, that I can continue to use. So highly recommend that you check out all of the, the resources that Wendy has made available to you. And of course, I swear by Atomic Habits. Uh, the book is actually upstairs next to my nightstand because I think I reference it like every day. Uh, and the willpower instinct is my very next read. I'm like, 30 pages away from finishing this <laughs> now, and then that's going to be my, that's going to be my, my next read. So uh, as we wrap up here, I mean, Wendy, I cannot thank you enough for your time, for your insight, for your, your honesty and, and your candor in these, these discussions. Uh, is there anything that, that you feel that you've missed that you want to make sure that our listeners or our viewers know anything you want to leave them with? Um, no, I've, I've just been, 
super excited to to do this and to to work with Jason and April. Both of you are, are amazing people. I'm so glad you've got this organized. Um, no, just don't worry about the things that we worry about. Um, don't don't start spending enough time to focus on yourself to become healthy. It's a new habit. Again, a new pathway in your brain. Focusing on yourself, um, not in a selfish way, but putting on your own um, mask first on the airplane before you put on other people's. And have confidence and faith in yourself. Um, yeah, that's, that's it. Awesome. Jason, anything, anything you'd like to add to, to wrap up this, this episode? I just, uh, like you, want to thank Wendy for being here. I think the, a lot of insight was passed on today. I'm really hoping that our viewers and listeners uh, got a lot out of today because I feel like this was probably the most informative thing we've done so far. And I look forward to many more conversations with Wendy and April with you as well. And I uh, just appreciate everybody for listening and sharing and liking. And please spread the word because we're here to help our community. And if you're part of that community, we welcome you with open arms. Yep, we, we literally, we, we are here to serve the bariatric community with humor, humility, and, and honesty. Jason and I are not experts in anything except our own experience, but we're so thankful that we have experts in our lives like Wendy, who are here to, to help us through, through our journey and department. Thank you for being here. <laughs> <laughs> A lot, yeah. Oh, it's just been fantastic. So, well, Wendy, I think, uh, as you can tell, this was a uh, very very informative, very insightful, very helpful. We would love to uh, to continue our conversation with you in the future. Oh, I think anytime, yeah. I think we could probably record 100 episodes and we still wouldn't run out of <laughs> things to- Probably not. Yeah, no, to dive in and talk about you with, but we, we very much very much appreciate you. And to you listeners, uh, to you viewers, thank you so much for, for tuning in and, and supporting it. And like Jason said, uh, you can help us grow our community by liking and sharing uh, this content with, with people in your world. And if there are topics or issues or things that you would like us to explore more in depth, please let us know. Reach out to us, either comment below. Send us direct messages. We are at East to West Weight Loss Surgery on Instagram. Jason and I also uh, have independent pages that you can reach out to. Uh, so we definitely want to hear from you because our, our whole goal is to provide content that is of value to you, that is of value in the bariatric community. And just because you have not had weight loss surgery doesn't mean that you are not a member of the surgery. You found us for a reason, and we want to be a, a resource for you start, start to finish. So no matter where you are along the journey, we, we want to make sure that, that we're supporting you and, and providing things of value to you. So, so just thank you for being a part of the community and and uh, and supporting us so so with that we'll, we'll wrap up our very second episode wendy again thank you so much for being with us jason yeah. always a pleasure talking with you and uh yeah we're, we're just excited to continue to work and grow this community to to make it just something that that we all find valuable so thank Absolutely. you so much for your support <laughs> all right you guys we'll see you soon thank you bye-bye bye, -bye. bye.